Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio, brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good morning, and thank you. We are really excited today to introduce another very successful entrepreneur from Atlanta, leader in revenue management. He was once even called the guru of revenue management by the Wall Street Journal. I'm talking about Bob Cross, currently chairman of Revenue Analytics. Bob started out thinking he was going into law, getting a JD from Texas Tech University, and he got into revenue management by accident. After a stint as general counsel at Texas Aeronautics, he took a position in the legal department at Delta in the 1980s, just as deregulation was about to take off. And there, he went from law to marketing, where he launched a new pricing model that added over $300 million of incremental revenue in just one year. Shortly afterwards, he left to start his first revenue management company, Aeronomics, which later became Talus devoted entirely to the art and science of revenue management. He eventually sold Talus for $366 million, but years later refused to retire and started another company called Revenue Analytics, where he and his two sons now lead the company. Bob is also author of Revenue Management, The Hardcore Tactics for Market Domination, the story about how he revolutionized companies like American Airlines and Marriott International. He's got an outstanding story, and I can't wait to share it with you right now. Let's start, Bob, by trying to understand what inspired you to go. I think you told me you started in chemistry, actually, in college. Then you went to law, and then you went to Delta to do law, but then I guess they wanted you to get into marketing. So th those two functions seem so different, law it's, and marketing. Can you explain that and, and how you how you took that interesting t detour on that journey? Michael, unfortunately, I can't explain it at all. It's, <laughs> it's just crazy. And nobody would have mapped out such a such a career path. I don't think I, I don't think I told you my original plan. The reason I was had an undergrad degree in chemistry is I wanted to be a surgeon, a thoracic surgeon. I thought it'd be cool to be a chest cutter. A chest cutter, yeah, okay. But, but I worked in yeah. hospitals for years and years. I got tired okay. of that, and I ended up deciding to go to law school. Uh-huh. And in, as a, in law school, my interest was actually in becoming a – I really wanted to have my own practice. I wanted my own business, ultimately. Right. That, that's kind of my, been so my passion. So you knew then you wanted I knew I business. wanted to have my own business. Right. Okay. In law school, I wanted to hang out a shingle. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. All right. So it was going to be your own law firm. Right. Exactly. So you didn't want to be a judge or? Well, I, I did ultimately. So I ended up working out of law school, worked for the Texas Court of Appeals. Okay. You know, and okay. that there's where I wanted to become a judge then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But after that, I was, uh, went to work for the Texas Aeronautics Commission. Right. Right. And we had a lawsuit, actually one against Delta and one on the same side as Delta. The Delta lawyers got to know me and then they hired me. As a, a wow, lawyer, what a compliment! In Delta's, what yeah, a compliment! Yeah, Delta's law department. So they obviously admired your legal skills. So why did the legal department want you to go to marketing? Were they well, not? Was that there something was a, there that was an issue, or yes, a, a crazy thing that yeah, it was actually the uh, the CEO at the time, Dave Garrett. Okay, had seen some of the things that I'd done. So I I had 
settled a big multi-district litigation, big, big complex case. I settled it, and then there was, right. a, there was a lobbying effort that I had directed. Okay. And Dave Garrett just thought, this is a guy who solves problems. And at the time, Delta was losing money, so he said – Right. Why don't you go into the marketing department, and uh, okay. what, which I thought was a bizarre move because I'd never had a business course, much less a marketing course in my entire right. life. And what did you know about pricing? I, squat. squat. I didn't know squat about marketing. <laughs> I did, you know, I was a lawyer. Wow. <laughs> so, it, so he, uh, Dave Garrett, took thought he was going to be a doctor for a long time. Yeah, Gabe, exactly. Uh, Garrett took took a, a risk took a, in putting you chance, putting yeah. into marketing. Right. Right. So so then how did you determine that there was – I guess it was a disconnect between the supply and demand? That, that, how, that's how, right. How did, well, so when I went into the marketing department, I just walked around. So I did what any good lawyer would do, walking around with my yellow legal pad, asking people, what do you do? How do you do it, et cetera, and found a, couple, a number of things that we had to do. I mean, we had to, we had to refleet the airline because, the, you know, they had too many big planes flying too infrequently. But that was going to cost like 40 or $50 billion. Okay. You know, the, the advertising was, path, you know, pathetic. Pathetic. But mm-hmm. but that was going to cost you know hundreds of millions of dollars to correct and then the, the uncertain return and I kept walking around talking to people asking what they do and I came across these fifty people that were in the basement of the reservations building mm-hmm. and their job was to determine how many discount seats to put on each flight mm-hmm. and that that's where I, I figured so we had they were. There were 50 people managing 550,000 flights a day. Each person was responsible for 11,000 flights. Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm-hmm. no wonder we're losing money. This is impossible. Well, right. And I, I've read parts of the, I haven't finished reading the whole book, but I read parts of the book. And you also say that the, the, uh, the pricing, th- those people were, of course, in a totally different department than the people running inventory. Right. And I guess you were trying to put them together yeah, right, to see right. how you Matching, could optimize. Right. Matching the supply and the demand, how, how many passengers are are going to be on which flight? And it was very important to to predict which which flights were going to have empty seats. That's where the discounts needed to be, and which flights were going to be full, and that reduced the discounts because the late booking high fare business passenger was going to pay for it. Right, right, right. So, did you come up with a formula, and, a mathematical well, we, formula, we, to figure this out? I we mean, is math put, one of your skills, well, your strengths too. That, that's a good question. No, it's not my my strength. But one of the nice things about my undergrad degree, I had some calculus, and so I knew this is a math problem, and uh-huh. I I couldn't do the math. But we had somebody who was over at the Jet Base PhD in in math, working at the Jet Jet Base, doing right. modeling you know failure rates for engines. And so I got some IT people, I got him, and I got some p- business analysts that were doing this, right. trying to figure out how many seats on each flight, put them together in the room and said, we got to solve this problem. So they really created the system I got it. That, that Delta then implemented that was worth $300 million that first year. Right. And I guess you you had to raise was it two million for this special project right, right. internally in Delta, two, and I think you promised them two hundred. It said in yeah. the book, yeah, that's right, two hundred million gross revenue, right? Yeah, with the two million dollar well, investment, like, and you did three hundred. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe actually, we should actually, hire mentally, him at <laughs> I think we could use you. <laughs> yeah, that's not what a return. So then, why did you leave Delta? Well, it was to start the company because you it, realized that there was more money that you could make for other companies. Well, I was it? I was happy. I was doing. I was enjoying what I was doing. I loved Delta. It was great. Great airlines. Great employer. It, I kept I kept moving up the the ranks at, at Delta, but I got calls from headhunters from other airlines, and and I thought you know thought about it thought about it, but it was what happened one night was I was 
prepping for a board meeting for Delta. We we're going to talk about what we were doing in the revenue management realm. And I was falling to bed about 2 a.m. And I told, leaned over to my wife and I just said, you know, if I had any sense, I'd just leave Delta and start my own business. And she said, well, why don't you? Wow. And that, that was, and that tip, was one tipping of those. Point. Yes. Tipping t- point in your life. Exactly. Exactly. If she had said, roll over, you're crazy. We have small children and, and yeah. not much in savings. And that would have <laughs> snuffed it out. That would really, yeah. So it was just Absolutely. that moment, that just one that nanosecond. Moment. Yeah. Bed. yeah. <laughs> so we just stayed up and talked about it. And we thought, you know, let's give it a shot. Okay. So your wife's got a lot of courage. Absolutely. She must yes. believe in you, obviously. Yes. Yeah. So, so that wasn't then necessarily a long term dream. Although you said you always wanted your own business, but it was a law firm. That's but right. now you're shifting, and mm-hmm. you know, with this pricing opportunity, you saw. I guess, I guess, you saw not just the airline industry, but also hotels and. Well, you know my. Short-term vision. I, I didn't yeah. see that far. I, that I knew there was demand. I knew right. we were doing things at Delta nobody else was doing. So I thought there's, you know, mm-hmm. there are 200 airlines out there. Right. You know, and I had three calling on me to, to want to hire me. So I thought, hey, there's a, right. there's a, at least a short-term business. And so right. to show you how short-term thinking I was, my, I called my first company Aeronomics, thinking it was just going right. to apply to. Yeah. Airlines, and, airlines economics. and economics. Right. So how did you capitalize the first company? Well, it was all bootstrapping. So bootstrapping. from, from okay. our savings. And, okay. uh, and that's, I mean, that's one of these tough stories. As, as you leave, I left Delta, left the security of having a, a paycheck and, and, you know, right. doing real well. And right. my family thought I was crazy because they, they knew uh, I'd been uh, promoted to Delta. And now, now I'm just right. leaving right. and hoping that someday I'll earn and enough to pay myself. your wife believed in you because she, she said you should. She, that your kids thought you were crazy. She did. She did. <laughs> But one of the stories I love to tell entrepreneurs yeah. is that, you know, you, the the most important thing in starting a business is getting customers, you know, that you got to have a customers. Right. And people, you know, there were, because the article in the Wall Street Journal, there were a lot of people, a lot of airlines willing to talk to me, but then right. talking to you and hiring you is a completely different thing. You know? Right, right. Yeah, paying you money to talk to you is, is completely different from, yeah, I'll come back and right. we need to talk to these guys and talk to these guys and yep. Yep, signing a contract and getting so paid. So the first customer, was that American Airlines? No, the the first company, my first customer was actually Air Canada. Air Canada. Air Canada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, American was one of those that wanted to talk to me. Oh, yeah. but they didn't engage and, you. And hire me, uh-huh. but not, you okay. know, not necessarily as a consultant. Okay. Right? So Air Canada. So, yeah, so Air, tell us Air about Canada. that first so, engagement. So the so it was it was I mean it was did real well with Air Air Canada. Qantas was an early, mm-hmm. you know, and and so I staying really really busy. But another lesson for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. is the lesson of cash flow. So so within the, the first year, you know, I were you know working right. You're working my tail off. By the way, the other thing that's really interesting to, to I think when you talk to entrepreneurs, I worked hard at Delta. I worked really really hard, and I knew I was a hard worker. I wasn't afraid of starting my own business, mm-hmm. but when I when I left, I never at Delta never set the alarm at five a.m. on a Sunday to get up and do work. Ever I did with my own company. Yeah, so, wow. Because uh, uh, that's there awesome. Was work to be done. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. So it's so Air Canada was your first customer. You had yeah, other airline yes, customers. Yes, so, right. Uh, was American one, then eventually one? Yeah, one? Le- yeah, yeah. Later. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. American United British Airways all ultimately okay. customers. Yeah. And again, so they're basically hiring you and your team to go in and analyze how they could yeah. do a similar pricing model to optimize right. supply right. and demand. Right. And, and American, had, they were already actually they were pretty far down the road already, so they'd kind of already figured it out. Okay. Yeah. And reservation systems then were not online. 
right? Yeah, they, in the nineties, they they weren't available to everybody. Travel agents had them, so you right. know, so if you called, they'd right. have a res system. You know, mm-hmm. at, at Delta, and the the major airlines had their own res system, and they you, you mm-hmm. could get make bookings through travel agents, but you weren't you mm-hmm. know able to just sit you know on through right. a Travelocity or any other booking engine. Right, 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 right. But in that first company, in those first year or two, what were there nights that you couldn't sleep that you had? I mean, you mentioned cash flow, oh, yeah, it, and I know exactly. you're in revenue management, the, but but cash is king. Cash, so, Bob, cash is share king. with our and listeners so, what were there some moments there where you weren't sure that you were going to make it? Oh, oh, absolutely. In our in our second year, so we we were we were really really busy. Had a number of clients. I'd grown the firm. There were about a half a half a dozen of, of us or so. But these big companies are really, really slow in paying. Uh-huh. So we, so we had a lot of receivables. Right. But we weren't getting the cash in and mm-hmm. we were calling, we'd, we'd talk to our people, you know, hey, you got to send us cash, et cetera. Right. And we came literally within days of missing, missing pay- payroll. Payroll. Right? Okay. And, and as you know, you know, I, we were a small company. I think everybody was a believer in me, but if you miss payroll, oh, you're, you, done. Yeah. you're done. You're yeah. done. You lose the trust. Everybody's got mm-hmm. house notes and mm-hmm. bills and things. They've got to pay. And if you miss payroll, it doesn't make any difference how much goodwill you've built up with your employees. You're toast. And how many employees so did you have? We had about early? a half half dozen half at this dozen. time. This was like in our second year. Second yeah. year. That yeah. was in 1990. This yeah, this was in yeah nineteen about nineteen ninety yeah. yeah wow okay so and then how did you become Talus and why did you change the name and what well what, we, tell us about that we merged transformation with, yeah we merged with another company to become Talus okay yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I'd like to share with you and with the audience is how we got into other industries because I, as I said it yep. started as aeronautics and I, you know started my Thinking this just applied to airlines, but as it turned out, Bill Marriott had mm-hmm. heard about what we were doing from Bob Crandall, mm-hmm. and then Bob, you know, and Bill Marriott had somebody. Crandall called, was head of me, United. Uh, he was the head of or American. American. Okay, yeah, he was CEO of American Airlines. Okay. Yeah, and so Bill Marriott had somebody call call me and come up to talk to them, and and he was the one who was astute enough to see, yeah, we had the same problem that the airlines do. We have our rooms that are this perishable inventory. We don't sell them today. Right. It, we're not going to get any money for them, but if we sell them too early at too deep a price, we're not going to kick people out of the room. The, the late booking, high, you know, high fare or high rated right. customers not going to get the room. Right, right. So, same Same problem. So that's how you got into hotels. Yeah, hotels and you yeah. work with Marriott and what other hotels? We worked with Marriott and Hilton and uh, okay. actually mm-hmm. four of the five top And were you paid uh, on a non-contingent or contingent basis yeah, or combination? I would, I would I'm, love I'm to say we've taken a contingent basis because all of our clients got somewhere, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. But uh, we were just wow. charging them on a wow. on kind of more of a consulting model. We didn't take our own ad- advice. That's about why you take a piece of exactly, the fee. Yeah. So you didn't take your own advice. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In your book, there's one, you, there are a couple crises that you had along the way. And one you talked about, there was a, a big issue, I think, with national car rental. Can you share so, that story I, with us? I would love to, to share that. When, so, we were engaged with National Car Rental. They brought us in as I was writing my book. 
And so I'd had enough experience in the airlines and the hotels. And I thought, okay, now, now this chapter, I'm going to, I went into national thinking. This is the chapter I'm going to talk about. This is the way things should be done. We've mm-hmm. got enough experience. I know the process. I know how to, how to, to put a team together and, mm-hmm. and solve these problems. And so I'm going to talk about this is the way it should be done. Well, what happened was right after our contract with uh, National was signed, uh, they, they were about to file for bankruptcy and the board replaced all the senior management team and brought in a turnaround specialist, okay. Jay Alex and company. Okay. And, and they came in. So we had laid out a, uh, a year or year and a half time frame for this thing. And Jay Alex said, no, you're going to do it in six weeks. You're going to do it in six weeks or, wow. or you're dead. Okay. You're, or we're, we're, we're pulling your – We worried that they, they would, could pay you, though? They would if, they're, been, if they're in deep trouble like that, how will you you know, assured that you'd get paid? Yeah, exactly. We're not sure – we weren't sure we would get paid, but so, we had a Again, we you had weren't following your own advice here. Exactly. We had, we had a commitment. <laughs> we had the we had a contract. and right. But because the – Exigent circumstances. We just decided we're gonna we're okay. gonna hook, go ahead and do it. We're gonna, do it. but we couldn't do it in six weeks. So what we did with them was we said, let's take your top twenty percent of your markets, which is about fifty percent of your revenue, mm-hmm. and let's do something for them. But even even that was just crazy. Mm-hmm. We had our team working nights and and weekends and and lit literally twenty four seven. I mean, mm-hmm. they were just taking cat naps, you know, to to get this thing up and running. Unfortunately. We didn't make the six week deadline. Uh-huh. And so the, the, the head, their, their head came, came to me and said, we're going to put you out of business. We're going to kill you. We're going to crush you. We're going to take your, wow. we're going to take all your assets if you don't deliver. And, wow. you know, if we said, Hey, you're, you're going to get something that's worthless if we can't work together and, and deliver, so, deliver something. So we, we ended up, uh, two weeks later, we got, we got the system up and running. We started managing, you know, it was again, it was 50% of the revenues. We were increased their revenues between 10 and 15 percent on all those different mm-hmm. uh, locations, you know, and that was enough to stave off bankruptcy okay. and give us bias some time so right. we can get the, you know, get everything in, get, get the rest of the, the uh-huh. system up and running. So it ended up being a great story, but it was that close to being cataclysmic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. For, for every national, for you too? For, you, oh yeah, for our firm too. Because thing, what would have happened to you? I mean, obviously well, the, the car company you know, bankrupt, but he's selling, he would have sued us. But, and at the time we were a small company. I mean, we probably okay. could have gotten through, but it would have been such an incredible diversion. Was this aeronomics or Talos? We were still aeronomics. At aeronomics the time. then, okay. Still aeronomics at okay. the time. Still relative, relatively small firm at the time. Right, right, so right. It was, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was small. We were small enough. I was still working on the project. Okay, yeah. got it. Right. So, and, so why did you merge with Talos then later? Did they well, make we, you an offer? Mer- no, we well, we merged with a company called Decision Focus. Decision okay, Focus. And, and so our for a while our name was Decision Focus slash Revenue. Aer- oh. Yeah, aer- yeah, aeronautics. aeronautics. And it was just that was a mouthful. So right. So we changed our name, rebranded ourselves as Talus Solutions. And the benefit to aeronautics of merging with them was they what? they had a lot they had a lot of. Uh, great skills. They were on the West Coast. They had a lot of great technical skills that that we needed. So, was, and, you know, and they had so it was people. Sk- yep, people, uh, yep, techno- people, people and technology. People and technology skills. Okay, and right. they had a background in this kind of. Uh, yeah, they had done some some work. Yeah, okay. they had done some work in this in this area. Okay, right. And so, did, did you uh, did? Can you comment a little bit how that was capitalized? Did you keep all your equity? Uh, we, you yeah, you were CEO, we were, right? Right, you right. Became, and we so you didn't pretty, lose that, yeah. right? Uh, and it was, it was, we wanted to, and this is, this is a lesson too. We kind of wanted to, I'd gotten to know the CEO real well and 
a lot of mutual respect. And when we put the companies together, we just said, let's, let's do this. And it's kind of like a merger of equals. They were about the same size, about the same revenues we had, et cetera. And we said, let, let's call it, you know, let's do a merger of equals. And so it was pretty much 50 50. We actually had some share valuations. Ours was a little bit, right. you know, got a little bit bigger valuation, but, right. but we went into the thing, merger of equals. Well, one of the things that I tell of my class of business school classes is that was the, one of the dumbest things I ever said. There's no such thing as a merger of equals. Oh, we yeah. were, and it was such a shame. We should have just put our, the talent together and really, really taken off. But by calling it a merger of equals, it paralyzed us. Nobody knew, okay. well, who's calling the shots? Who's doing what? But you were yeah, CEO, where we going? Though, right? Well, actually, I, the, I made the other guy CEO. At first. It, exactly. And okay. I became chairman because oh, he was okay. just great, smart, talented guy, one of the smartest guys I ever met. But he wasn't, even though he's one of the smartest guys I ever met. And this is another thing. doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a great CEO. Right. In fact, he's, he was one of these guys and I, I'm sure you've met him before. So brilliant. He could see all these issues, see things I couldn't see, but it almost paralyzed him in making so, a decision. So decision making was right. One rough. of my, Strengths is that, you know, I'm, I'm Decise. kind of n- naive. Okay. I'm naive. I've got a lot of belief and take the faith and I look at the options. And I say, okay, we're going to go down this path. And if it doesn't right. work, we can change. Right. You know, and, but he just, he just had to, had to make the right decision. And it was so, it so took hard. Forever. It took forever. The world was passing in time. And it was money. And it wasn't just him. It was yeah. everybody in the company. They didn't know. HR, what are we going to do? Hiring, recruiting. What, mm. What's our model? Right. Okay. So what happens? I mean, it's fifty so fifty ownership, right? We, well, we ended up then. I I ended up t- taking t- over t- taking the CEO. over his CEO okay. spot again. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you still have. And 50% then we brought in a we brought in a, a a real CEO. He had brought in a okay uh, okay. And now we're in what years time, now? We, in the late nineties? Yeah, in the in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, and right. by that time, actually, we were changing our business model to more of a software model, mm-hmm. and and I brought in some uh, outside investment. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so you took some chips yeah, off the exactly, table. Exactly, yeah, right. Okay. Took some chips off the table, and we brought in uh, General Atlantic Partners, Goldman oh, yeah. Sachs, Nora Mosley here in town. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, all great great all, names. All yeah. great so That was institutional great, equity yeah, yes. that bought out you and yeah, the other yeah. shareholders. Right. Or took some but, piece off. Yeah, not – they. you know, we didn't get all out, but they just invested in. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you sold Talus uh, when? In uh, 2000. 2000 was, for yeah. $366 million. Yeah, wow. Right, which was t- you Why know, did you want to sell? Just uh, well, finally cash good, in and that's you know, a, start following that's your own advice? Question, you know, that because our, our goal was not to sell the, the company. Our goal was to go public. But that's one of those things. That's one of those dreams you have that you say, thank God my dream didn't come true because – Going public in the year 2000, right, you know, we had the big crash. Oh, right, sure. Right, sure. Right? Yeah, and then not And it would have been yeah, a disaster right, being the head of a public, public company yep, yep. when there, you can't help the share price is going right. to go down. So, so timing is everything. Timing's everything. And sometimes timing's there's everything. some benefit to adversity. So. Exactly. Right. And it, so what did you learn from adversity throughout this this journey uh, up until 2000? Because there's lots of lessons we talked about here. You know, customers are important. Hard work is critical. Cash is everything. Yeah. Be a good decision maker. Mm-hmm. But as a leader, um, and I think you told me before we were talking about culture, and I didn't realize this until when I was running companies for Dun & Bradstreet, how important 
culture is and values because that's what happens when the CEO isn't there. Mm-hmm. And you talked about certain values that you had there, and now you've also transferred these mm-hmm. same values to Revenue Analytics, your new company. Mm-hmm. Could you comment on that? Yeah, that, that's right. Well, our our core values are success, excellence, mm-hmm. respect, integrity, and fun. And basically, we we tell everybody, you know, you can make any decision you want. You know, we we love the idea of giving people authority and accountability, but they have to go through a mental checklist of how does this decision square up with these core values? Is right. it going to be successful for everybody involved? Right. 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 Is it going to meet our standards of integrity? Right. Go, what what would somebody else think about it? You know. Right. 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 Standards of you know excellence, respectful to one another, and respectful to the client, and so and, and fun. We got we got to have fun. If we're not if we're not having fun, we're going to go do something else. Definitely. And and how do you create and cultivate the, the values in that culture? How do you actually yeah. translate that into action? That we has- we tell a lot of people. A lot of it's in in our recruiting and the way we build the teams and the way we hire people. We hire people that already have these values. You can't hire someone that who doesn't have Integrity and say, okay, now you got to have integrity here, right? Right. So you, we we have to hire people with those values. Gotcha. And on the hiring, I, I've got to say that one of the things that I think I did right, did did best, was hiring good people, getting great people, getting them enthusiastic about about my vision and our mission, and get letting them go create right. the company. Right. You know, so they got to drink about, the Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. <laughs> That's right. But one of the things that's very important for entrepreneurs, many, many people when they're hiring, they like to hire people that are like themselves, you know, that they say, they see a trait or quality in somebody and say, Oh, I, I like that trait, et cetera. They're, they're like me. And that, and that is the absolute wrong instinct, right? <laughs> you got to figure out what are my gaps? What are my weaknesses? I need to h- find people that are, aren't like me, you know, that have some skill sets that I don't have, mm-hmm. right? No, I agree with that. The wisdom of teams. Yep. They've right. got to be diverse to be a team. And That's right. Uh, so, so, all right, you sell Talus, and you decided you still had a lot of energy. You want to do another one. So well, you, you launched Revenue Analytics, and that was in 2000? In 2005, yeah. Okay. So I sold Talus, and I was teaching. I was teaching the MBA programs at okay. Georgia Tech and okay. University of Georgia just a couple of days a week. I was actually mostly a, a lake bum. Yes, I had a house on Lake Lanier. And right. But uh, my sons were were the ones who had the idea for revenue analytics, and okay. so they they came to me and said, you know, we we just need to start start this company, and and uh, it was we put together a business plan and got really really excited about the fact that everybody every industry every company needs the type of skills that that we bring as far as okay. be, being able to. Un- Predict mm-hmm. their customer mm-hmm. demand, and mm-hmm. then and then help them optimize. Well, what you know, answer to all these unknowns they have about you know where, what market should we be in? What should our prices be? What mm-hmm. should we stock? What should we promote? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I assume you capitalized it yourself, right? Yep, with revenue right. analytics. Exactly. And does it have the same mission or vision that it's, the aeronautics and talent did? It's a little, it's a little bit different. And one of the things that we're doing now is we're really trying to create a some sustainable software solutions that will help our clients. So we're, you know, bringing some web-based analytics to our our clients. So okay, so, so that's what's different, lot, exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of a new generation of technology right. that you're bringing right. to the business model. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that's interesting. What uh, 
you know, when you were doing aeronautics in Talos, you were disrupting, well, the airline industry, the hotel industry, car rental. So is revenue analytics also disrupting other it's, industries? Yeah, Can you that, elaborate right. on that? So we've gotten, we're doing a lot in cruise line. We're doing a lot in, the media, in the media space in, in terms of advertising okay. revenues, right? And what, how do you price wow. advertising? So like price. inventory of advertising that's not right. being right. optimized? Right. Okay. Oh, one of the things I'm really proud of is that uh, we have developed systems that price 42% of the hotel rooms in North America every night. Every night, every revenue night, analytics has revenue, a system our, that prices 42%, 42% of all, all rooms. rooms hotel. And, yes, which, you know, if you look at a, a you know, they're selling yeah. rooms a year it's in advance. That's, that, yeah. Well, it's 700 million, 700 million rooms a night we price. Whoa. And, uh, wow. And I and I know we're doing now, a good job. Why don't you job. take a fee on that? Yeah, that's right. fee. That's Come crazy, on, follow yeah. your own advice. What is this? <laughs> you know, this is all re- called right. non-contingent fees. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Pretty. Yeah, there's a lot of news about Uber and Airbnb, and we're all you know those industries have been disrupted. Now, are there parallels between what you are doing there and what's happening in the Airbnb kind of the hotel space mm-hmm. and? I won't say car rental, but taxi industry, yeah. Yeah. Uh, transportation. Can you comment I, on? I think some so. Of the I mean, it's, it is. It's there are a lot of similarities, and, and in fact, it's. I think it's going to be even more disruptive because what we were doing, you know, in in uh, with my previous company and, and now with Revenue Analytics, is is we're disrupting how they price what they've currently got, but the Airbnbs and the and the Ubers are adding so much more supply mm-hmm. into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. There was an example uh, earlier, Arnie Sorensen, of, who's now the CEO of Marriott, said we are going to add 200,000 rooms to our portfolio this year. And then Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, said we're going to add 200,000 rooms to our portfolio next week. And it, that gives you the, <laughs> wow. some idea yeah. of the yeah. of the magnitude of yeah. the disruption. Mm-hmm. Right. So – it is really wow. Crazy. So you're talking about kind of transforming, disrupting other industries. Is there any threat to the business model of your company, Revenue Analytics? Is you know, it, could someone? Is there another Bob Cross out there that could replace your business model with something new and different? Yeah, it's, is there a threat? In other words, there's a, absolutely. There's always a threat. Yeah. You well, know, only the it? paranoid survive, right? To quote yeah. Andy Grove, you, yeah, you're always got to be looking over your shoulder. Yeah, uh, but. But uh, what I love about our our company, first first of all, the the business is never going to go out of fashion because uh, because growing top line revenues is just something every company is going right. to need to do. You know? right. Now there are people that you know what you what we do sounds like big data and predictive analytics, and those become buzzwords. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. have to differentiate what we do from a, from mm-hmm. all these other other players that are out there. And how do you but do fortunately, that? Fortunately, well. Yeah. The main way, way we do it is by showing our success stories. So, so we'll go into a company and they'll say, "Oh yeah, well we we've got a big data initiative and predictive." Right. And I said, "Well, how much money have you made off of it yet?" Well, we we haven't quantified it yet. Well, if you're doing it right, you're going to see between two and seven percent growth on your top line revenues. And if you if you don't see that, mm-hmm. then you better hire. So us. you quantify, yes, we quantify the every, value add that yes, revenue analytics every client, brings to each client. Yeah, okay, that's right. And do your clients allow you to share the, that data with uh, the public? With su- some, some do, some, do. some don't. Yeah. Some do, yeah. Some okay. some are really proud of, and they they will talk about it. And uh, 
But, you know, unfortunately, a lot won't. And, wow. Because they see it as a competitive advantage. Yeah. yeah. Is it difficult now turning over the leadership to your younger sons? Is it, you know? Well, it, it really hasn't been at all. I'm really, you know, proud. Of course, first of all, we've got a really great team. It's not not yep. just my, my sons. We've right. had a fantastic CEO, head of sales, business development. You're strong partners, you know, right. in different industry right. verticals. But I do have to brag on, on my sons because they are, they're great. I think my son, Dax, who's our CEO, he's just a better CEO than I ever was. You know, he, <laughs> he just is. And, okay. and my son, Zachary, is over our, you know, consulting right. practice right uh, groups and he's just a better consultant than than I ever was and I to see mm-hmm. those guys and see the way they've grown and now they're running the business is just mm-hmm. is something that I can't tell you how proud I am so what's what's so that's been easy what's next for Bob Cross I know you're wearing a beard now it's new <laughs> right. but uh, it looked like Ernest Hemingway maybe is there's another book here in the future uh, is there a book or is uh, it the beach? Right. Or is it another business? Yeah, don't don't get used to the beard. I'm not sure that's going to last, but it uh, but, but it may make me more interesting. Right? <laughs> You're already <laughs> fascinating. But I, what is next? You're uh, too young to retire. So, You're not going to retire. I, I'm so happy. I just love what where I am okay. in my stage of life. I got to tell you, Mike, I, I love it. I love the the company. I love being involved. So I'm staying involved, even though I'm chairman now and not actively involved in the day to day management. It's really fantastic. I still love teaching, so I'm still teaching ad hoc teaching at uh, UGA and okay. at, at uh, Georgia Tech. And I've got five grandkids who are wonderful. I love spending time with the grandkids, and so so it's teaching sharing kind of the lessons that you've learned along the way Mm -hmm. and do you have any final words for our listeners about some of the lessons that you learned in building these different companies and what you're doing now you know the i think the uh, only lesson that i would have is that you know it's it gets back to you know perseverance believing believing in yourself it's perseverance sticking with and never lose sight of the the end objective but but being able to real realistically assess where you are i think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs they go in too optimistic they're optimistic and and optimism is not going to sustain you hope is not and you need a little bit of paranoia you need a little little bit of paranoia realistic yeah just a realistic assessment yep yep and a great team yeah and a great team well, Bob, this this has been uh, fascinating. I, we really pre- appreciate these powerful stories of, of how you pursued a, really a radical approach to pricing uh, starting decades ago. And I think the lessons here for strategic thinking, marketing, and disrupting industries are really timeless and built on pretty simple but ever-changing models of supply and demand that you've discussed here. And in fact, I'd like to attend one of your classes, one of your lectures. You're going to have to yeah, let me know I'll when you let speak. You know. But we look forward to the next company. And I don't think you're going to stop here. And we want another book out of you, too, before we're done. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks again for having me. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction.